Welcome to church. I'm glad you're here. June 7th, 2020. We also welcome those of you, a special welcome to those of you who are watching online with us. Uh, I want to share one of my uh, favorite verses. I remember talking about this verse a lot 10 years as a youth pastor. First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 says this. Paul's writing to young Timothy said these powerful words to his young friend. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Don't, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, Timothy, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Don't let anybody look down just because you're young. I just want you to be an example setter. Today, we're going to look at a teenager. And the Hebrew word for, for uh, this young man means between the age of 13 and 17. So somewhere in that vicinity, the young man we're going to look at today was ripped out of his home, and he had every reason to give up on his faith. You talk about excuse, this guy had an excuse to say, no thank you, God, if you allowed this to happen to me, I don't think I want to follow you anymore. But despite painful and awful circumstances, in your eyes, God used this teen to change the world, literally. God used this teen, despite the awful situation, to change the world. And I believe that God is still in the business of using young women and men to change the world. Do you, do you agree? God is still in the business of using young women and men to change your world. I need to ask you a question, okay? Personal. You have to a personal question? How many of you are age 40 and under? Can I see your hands? How many of you are 40 and under. You don't, yeah, good. Hold it right up there. I, I, I would say I picked this uh, number because statistically, if you're 40 and under, you're still in the first half of your life, statistically, okay? So if, if you just raise your hand, you're still in the first half. Uh, the rest of us are in the third or the fourth quarter, uh, or perhaps even in overtime. I don't know. No. Under 40, really this sermon, I hope you understand, this is aimed at you, because I believe that Jesus Christ wants to use you. How many of you, 40 and under, can I see your hands one more time? I believe Jesus Christ wants to use you with your hand up to change your world. I really do, and we're going to see that today. Uh, we begin a brand new series today, we're going to look as we begin with a young teenager, and his name is Daniel. And I'll say it again, even though he had lots of reasons to turn his back on God, the Lord used Daniel to literally change the world. Locate with me, we'll start in chapter 1, Daniel. And uh, we're going to stand right now, read out loud together. If you're watching online, you're welcome to stand with us. Well, we're going to look at verses 1 to 5. And read that out loud, and we're going to work our way all the way through chapter 1. Ready? Let's read together. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, 
king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you still are in the business of using young people to change the world. This was true back in Daniel's day. I am convinced that hasn't changed. So thank you for using young people, and I pray for every person here today, every person who's watching online, who's uh, 40 and under. Lord, might they realize that it's your desire to use them in powerful ways. Lord, uh, I just want to pause for a moment because we've got some folks who've uh, suffered loss, people who are part of the family that we care deeply about. So I want to pray for Jill Jack and Terry and Kevin Matz, who recently lost their dear mother. I want to pray for Perry Fortier, who's lost his bride of 50 years, Sandy, and uh, the three children who've lost their mom. Lord, uh, when one part of the family hurts, the rest of us, the rest of the body, we hurt with them. So I, I want to pray for grace and comfort and peace, Lord, and thank you that uh, this uh, dear mother, Lauren and Sandy, both of them have been promoted. Thank you, Lord, that they're doing really well right now. So, Lord, they're in your presence and we rejoice, but we pray for our friends who are grieving. And thank you, though, that we grieve with hope. And right now, Lord, as we're about to dig into your book, we invite your spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to come and take charge right now in our lives. I'm, I'm grateful, Lord, you're not confined to a building. You are with us the last three months as we were home watching. And Lord, thank you that some of us can be together right now. So we invite your spirit to come and take charge. And I pray the streams of living water would flow today in this place and flow right now in each home that's watching online. We invite you to be King and Lord. Take charge of our hearts and our minds and our wills, Lord. We invite your son Jesus to sit on the throne. He, he can come and drive right now and take us where we need to go today. And all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one united voice, Amen. Be seated. 605 years 
before Jesus is born in a stable in Bethlehem. Track with me now, okay? Because that's why it starts in the third year of the reign, because you can actually go back and they can date this. This is 605 years before Jesus takes on human form, born, okay? Jehovah God uses the Babylonians under the leadership of King Nebuchadnezzar. Get used to that word. You're going to hear it for the next several weeks. God uses Nebuchadnezzar to wake up his chosen people, Israel, from their rebellious ways, okay? So Israel, the northern ten tribes, they've already been wiped out by the Assyrians. Now God uses Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians as his tool of discipline to wake up his chosen people, okay? Daniel is the young teen who this book is named after. I think you probably knew that, right? Okay? Daniel 13 to 17, we'll, we'll go right in the middle. He's 15, 16 years old. It says he's either got royal ancestry or he's noble, which really is pretty much the same thing. Anyway, Daniel and the best and the brightest are forcibly taken from Jerusalem and put in the royal court of Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? That's basically what we just read. Okay? They are literally ripped away from their family. They're never going to see their parents. They're never going to see their grandparents. They're never going to be around brothers and sisters and friends. They're, they're never going to go back to Jerusalem again. Okay? And, and that's the way things were done in this day. Um, now, King Nebuchadnezzar, I might refer to him as Nebi. Is that okay? Uh, okay? King Nebi literally was the king of the planet at that time, okay? He, Babylon ruled the world at this particular point. He orders the chief of his court officials, Ashpenaz, I like that name, might want to consider that for baby names, uh, Ashpenaz, uh, chief of the court officials, it also says uh, in some of the versions he's the chief of the eunuchs, Okay? Now, every commentator I read, and since we have families all together, I'll just keep this a little generic and PG, but every, every commentator I read said that when you were under the authority of the chief of the eunuchs, that meant that everybody who was under him also became eunuchs. Tracking with me? Okay. Uh, you, you can explain later. Um, so, why would they make these teens uh, eunuchs? Why, why would they castrate them, okay? Uh, well, they would never marry. They would never have children. Their only family would be Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. Track with me now. And they would pour all of their energy and devotion uh, into the kingdom, they, they had no other distractions. It was all Babylon all the time. And perhaps most important, they wouldn't be tempted to try to overthrow the king and have their sons at this time. They would not not be tempted to overthrow Nebi and put their sons in his place. Understand? Okay, so Daniel's torn from his family, transported to Babylon, no temple, new language, new gods, and they're eating off the king's buffet, 
okay? This is way better than Golden Corral, okay? I'm just telling you, this is an amazing place, the king's buffet table. Here we go, verse 6. Among those who were chosen, plucked away, torn away from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Okay? Just telling you, the Babylonians did this all the time. Actually, most of the conquering nations did the same thing. They would find the, breath, the best and the brightest from the nations they conquered, and they would take them back home and immerse them into the Babylonian way. That was the idea. Take them, the best and the brightest. Notice they don't take older folks in the third or fourth quarter of their lives. Okay, uh, They take highly impressionable young teens and immerse them in a new language, in new literature, in the Babylonian gods. Matter of fact, if you slide down to verse 20, uh, he's going to be in contact with magicians and astrologers and the occult, which was flourishing at this time in Babylon, okay? So Daniel and his friends were also given the best food, food from all of the nations that Nebuchadnezzar had conquered. Think about it. Uh, the best food you've ever eaten, cakes, breads, puddings, spare ribs, getting hungry, Rosie? Uh, lobster, shrimp, you know, they would be living in extreme luxury and privilege. Why is that important? Because once you get used to that, it'd be hard to leave it. You, you wouldn't want to do anything to lose access to the king's buffet table. And it says, we just read, verses 6 and 7, they were given new names. Daniel's name meant God is my judge. Now, Belshazzar Baal, B-A-L, protects me, a Babylonian god. Uh, Hananiah becomes, and that means Lord, the Lord shows grace, Shadrach, the command of the Ak god, the moon god. You understand what they're doing here now? Uh, Mishael, uh, who, who is like the Lord our God, uh, that's what his name means, uh, meaning the god Aku, A-Q-U, is my strength another Babylonian god, and Azariah becomes, uh, which means the Lord helps, uh, becomes Abednego, servant of the god Nebo, one of the key gods in Babylonia. Do you see their plan? Change their names. Their names meant associated with the Hebrew Jehovah God. Uh, give them names associated with Babylonian gods, Get them used to living in privilege and luxury. Take away any option of ever getting married or have children. But Daniel resolved. Say it with me. But Daniel resolved. He made up his mind. And I'm telling you, this young teen resolved. Verse 8. But, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor 
and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who's assigned your food and your drink. Why should he see you looking worse than other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Now, I like a couple things. I think we can learn a couple things here. Daniel acts with tact and respect. He asks for permission. Notice that. I think that's huge. He's respectful. He doesn't demand. He doesn't yell. He doesn't pitch a fit. He doesn't stage a protest. He doesn't yell with anger. Verse 8, see what he does. He asks permission. A quick thought. The gospel of Jesus Christ is, by its nature, offensive. What do you mean? Well, when we share our faith in Jesus Christ with others, we're saying to them, all men are sinners. So when you talk about Christ and the cross and the shed blood, we're saying, uh, I'm a sinner and so are you, and you're lost and you're dying and you're facing judgment. Can I just say, honestly, that's, that's offensive to some. So the message of Jesus Christ and the cross is offensive. But as followers of Christ, as we speak to people, as we interact with people, our lives, our words shouldn't be offensive. Do you agree? So just learn. It, it, it is offensive because we're telling people you really need a Savior because you are a sinner lost and dying and facing judgment. But as we share Christ and model Christ, let's resolve never by God's grace, never to be offensive, okay? So the chief official here, very afraid of King Nebi, verse 10. You know what? If the king sees me and I'm messing with his prized pupils and you aren't looking very good, uh, what, what would be the result? What does he say? He'll take my head off. So Daniel switches gears, verse 11. Here we go. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief officials had pointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Just give us, a, give us a test run. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your, uh, your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. One commentator said, probably he got to eat their food. So it was a nice test in that. For 10 days, he got their, their portion of the king's buffet. Um, verse 15, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink, and gave them vegetables instead. <laughs> Test us. Ten days. Give us nothing but bushes and water, verse 12, and see how we look after ten days. And in my opinion, ten days, bushes and water, and you're looking better than all the others, that is a miracle. Would you not agree? <laughs> wow, God, what an amazing miracle. So here's, here's the important question to ask right now. 
Why did Daniel and his three friends go to such extremes to avoid eating the king's food? Why, why did they go and, and have the test and go to such extremes? Why did they do that? Two answers, I'm convinced. First, no way was King Nebuchadnezzar eating kosher food. Kosher food was food that was in alignment with God's instructions found in Leviticus 11 and Leviticus chapter 17, okay? Chosen people, you are my people, I want you to eat a certain way, and, and it's clear that's not how the king's table was aligned, okay? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego were raised since they were babies knowing there's no bacon to go with the eggs, okay? Spare ribs, lobster, shrimp were never a part of their Jewish diets. They knew Leviticus 11, Leviticus 17. I believe they said, no, we're not going to eat this food because of that. But I think there's a second more important reason. Okay, Understand this. Uh, kings at this time first offered their food before they ate it to their idols. So, Nebuchadnezzar would offer his food before his little G idols, statues of wood and stone, and whatever you don't eat, a piece of wood, piece of stone, we'll be able to eat. Oh, you're not hungry today. Okay, now we'll take it to the king's table, and that's what we'll eat. Do you understand? Okay, so if Daniel and his friends were to prosper eating the king's food, the credit would have gone to Nebuchadnezzar's gods, okay? He would have said, well, uh, the reason that you guys are doing so well, the reason you're so smart, the reason you're so healthy is because you ate off of my table the food that's been offered to the Babylonian gods. And, and Daniel and his friends said, no, no, uh, in spite of eating only water and veggies, our God the capital G God, Jehovah God, the God of the Bible has blessed us. You understand? The, the God of the universe has lifted us high as we've lived in obedience. And look at how the Lord blessed this young teenager and his friends. Pretty amazing. Their resolve, their determination, their faith in God, aligning their life up with God's word. Verse 17, here's Here's uh, what happens. Uh, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. We're going to talk about that next Sunday. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his servant, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Okay? Most powerful ruler by far on earth, Nebuchadnezzar. I think it's interesting. And when it comes to his top advisors, he 
handpicked them. He wasn't going to entrust that into anybody else. So he sends them for three years, it says, to the University of Babylon, and now the best and the brightest, he is going to select them and make them his closest personal advisors. See, they were going to become overseers along with him of his vast kingdom. And he wanted only the best, the brightest, and he chooses the best of the best. Implication seems to be here, most commentators, there were lots of graduates, but only a few people, the best and the brightest, were chosen to actually come and be enter into the service of King Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? And I want you to understand, three years, veggies, water, we did it God's way, and they rose straight to the top by doing it God's way. One more thing you need to know. He starts off 13 to 17 years old, okay? And for the next 60 to 70 years, Daniel is going to be the chief advisor of kings. You understand? So, Daniel is going to go into this position as a chief advisor to King Nebuchadnezzar, but now into his 80s, he is going to advise Nebuchadnezzar, and then King Darius, and then King Belshazzar, and finally King Cyrus. That's what it says, verse 21. Give me your eyes. God is going to use Daniel to change the world. That's really what happens, okay? God is going to use Daniel to change the world. Now, just think with me right now. What are some of the excuses that Daniel could have used to just go along with the program? Think with me. What are some of the excuses that he rightly could have used to say, you know what, Babylonian ways doesn't sound so bad, um, I'm going to conform to the pressure. Okay, let me give you six. Here we go. Uh, first excuse, he's young. He's just a teen. You can't expect Dan and his friends to resist the pressure of the greatest nation on earth. They're just little kids in many ways, just young teens. So that would be a pretty good excuse. Second excuse to cave, Daniel's in a strange country doesn't know the language, doesn't know the customs, doesn't know the religion. Just give him a little time to get his act together. He'll grow up. Besides, you know, what happens in Babylon, say it with me, it just stays there. No one would know the difference. He's away from his parents and grandparents and all of his family. No one knows. Third excuse to conform. He doesn't want to risk his future. Daniel was here, University of Babylon. He knew this was competition. Let him move up the ladder a little bit. Let him get ahead. Then he can start living for Jehovah God. But just let him, let him go for a little bit in Babylon ways. Fourth excuse is to give in. This king, you're going to see it, and I say this uh, gently, this king was unstable. This king... I think, was certifiably crazy. Uh, he executes people for little or no reason. You're going to see him do some really strange things. 
in the coming weeks for little or no reason. If you tick him off, you're dead. So as a young teen, you know, if you were advising him, you know, just, just go along with it. You might die otherwise. Fifth excuse to go along. Everybody else is compromising. Everybody else is doing it the Babylonian way. Everybody else is going with the flow. Don't make waves, Dan. Fly under the radar. Just go along with everything, and uh, it'll, it'll be okay. We, we understand. Sixth reason to compromise. Look what God has allowed to happen to you. You think God loves you, but look what he's allowed. Your home has been destroyed. Your temple is wiped out. You've been ripped from your family. Your dream of ever having a family is gone. Now you're living in this faraway country. You have every right, Daniel, to be mad at God. Uh, how dare this God that you say you love, how dare he allow all this to happen to you? Just go ahead. Live like a Babylonian. Give me your eyes. I love the fact that Daniel overcame all the excuses. All the excuses. Uh, those are the six that I could think of, but there's probably more. He overcame all the excuses. Verse 8, this young man, strong, he resolved, he made up his mind, and he wasn't going to cave in. He spoke and he acted with discernment. He was tactful. He was wise. And then he made himself accountable to his three friends. How did they make it for three years? Veggies, water. Don't you think that some people say, hey, this ham is amazing. You want a bacon sandwich BLT today? Dan, doesn't it smell good? It's got to be better than those fried bushes you're over there eating again. I promise you that stuff happened, but together they held each other accountable. They were in a group, uh, and that helped them. That's always true for us. So, what are the lessons? What are the lessons we should learn from Daniel and his friends? What, what are the lessons for us living in 2020? Okay, here we go. Taking a note, here we go. Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles... Young people who change their worlds, that doesn't just happen. If you're going to see the young people who you're responsible for change their worlds, then you need to mold and teach and train and live Jesus in front of them from the time of birth. Just telling you, it doesn't just happen, it has to happen from birth. And I'm telling you that somebody back in Jerusalem did their job. Somebody back in Jerusalem, I would argue Daniel's parents and family, they did their job. They modeled and lived Jesus because they came into Babylon tested and strong and mature. Amazing. When they go through Nebi's boot camp here three years... They come through well. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9, I believe, was lived out by Daniel's parents, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego's mom and dad. What's that say? Uh, teach God's commandments to your children. Impress God's word on your sons and daughters. Talk about the Bible when you sit at home. 
Talk about Jesus when you walk on the road. Have God's word all over your life is really what Deuteronomy 6, 49 says. Sounds like a slogan. Like, whoa, that, that could be like an ad. Here's what you need to know. It's not an ad, it's truth. If you want your children and your grandchildren to become world changers, you've got to start at birth. Start training, teaching, modeling Jesus, living Jesus as their example from the time they're born. And clearly you see that happening here with Daniel and his friends. Okay? And, and oh, by the way, there's one more thing. If Daniel is going to resist Babylon, we're going to need parents who resist Babylon. Make sense? So if you expect your children to say, no, I'm going to not do it Babylon's way, I'm going to do it God's way, then we as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and, and, and church family, we're going to have to live resisting Babylon. I'm just telling you children have an incredible radar for hypocrisy. Did you know that? <laughs> they pick it up. Oh yeah, I love Jesus and I'm going to heaven and I'm a Jesus follower, but my words and my priorities and my attitudes and my habits, they're all about the sin of Babylon. <laughs> you know what modeling they're going to follow? <laughs> they, oh yeah, you say it with your mouth, but if you don't live it with your life, they're going to follow that every time. Every time. I close with uh, Sequoia National Park. Um, it's home to some of the largest trees on earth, many of them over 300 feet tall. How many of you have been there? Been there, Sequoia National Park? Yeah? Um, some of those trees started growing about the time Daniel was uh, in Babylon. Isn't that amazing? So, so way back then, uh, 2,500 years ago, 500, 600 years before Jesus born, uh, these trees started growing. Okay. Now here's the interesting fact. Sequoias actually have really shallow root systems. Okay. So if you just think about these massive trees that have really shallow root systems, how on earth does a tree that weighs hundreds of tons keep from being blown down? Because uh, you understand, if you've survived 2,500 years, there were some really strong storms that blew through Sequoia National Park, okay? So how on earth have these really shallow root system trees survived? Ready for the answer? The answer? Sequoias only grow in groves with other sequoias. You go looking for sequoias elsewhere, and you're going to say, well, well, they're nowhere else. They only exist in groves with other sequoia trees. Why is that? Because the root system of the sequoias intertwine under the ground with all the other sequoia trees surrounding it. Did you, did you catch that? The way they survive is they intertwine their roots around all the other trees in the grove. So when the storms come and the winds blow fiercely, literally, they hold each other up. Isn't that cool? So, so how do they survive? 
literally together as a grove, as a group, they hold each other up. And I would argue Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Bednego, when the storms and the winds started blowing, I'm telling you, we're going to see some fierce hurricane force winds in the weeks ahead. When, when, when the strong storms came, literally they held one another up. They did. That, that was how they survived. Um, here's my point. We church family are just like sequoias. You know, we, 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 we think we're strong, but I think these last three months have shown us otherwise. Um, we are pretty puny. We are pretty weak. We are pretty fragile. Here's the truth. We are not meant to live alone. We're not meant, well, well I, I, I see there's other sequoias, but I, I think I'm just going to live over here. The next storm is not going to be good. Do you understand? The next time the wind blows hard, it's not going to be good. Why? Because each of us, we need each other. We're just like the sequoias. And I just need to say this, and we'll say this as gently as I know how, okay? So hear my heart. I'm so grateful for Church Online these last three months. I really am. And I know many of you who are watching right now, you need to be a church online. You, it would not be safe for you to be here with us today. Having said that, the danger is that some of you who could and should be with us today, you're still, uh, I, th I think I like this Sequoia church in pajamas and bed. It's, it's easier. It's, it's more convenient. I, 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 think, I think I like this. I think I'm going to, I may or may not watch you online, uh, but I really like my favorite. You know, I'm going to watch Andy Stanley and David Jeremiah and Stephen Furtick, and now I just named you my three faves, okay? So, so they're going to be my pastors. Here's the problem. Are you ready? Pastor Andy and Pastor David and Pastor Stephen, they don't live in our grove. They're, they're, they're not... They're not someone, they don't even live close. And when the storms hit, they're great people, but their roots don't interlock with us. You understand? <laughs> Far away. We need each other. We need to be interlocking with the Overbeak Sequoias and the Graham Sequoias and the McGeorge Sequoias. Welcome back, Greg. The, the Coates and Redmer and Cleavorn and Matt Sequoias. Do you understand? We need to be interlocking with the Cole and Nason and Elzerman Sequoias. Why is that? Because we need each other. Because the storms <laughs> are whipping up. Would you not agree? I, I, 2020, it's been the, you and I need the other Sequoias because we hold each other up. That's exactly how the Lord has meant it. We raise our children and our grandchildren together. We hold each other up when the storms of life hit. And I would argue, <laughs> lots of hurricane force storms and winds blowing recently. Sink your roots down deep amongst the other sequoias here in the church family. You know why? Why? Because we've got a world to change. Do we not? we got a world 
that needs the hope and the love of Jesus Christ. We've got a world that needs changing, and we're meant to do that together. Bow your head, shut your eyes. Lord, uh, thank you for putting us in family. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you've given us brothers, sisters, friends. And Lord, we see that demonstrated clearly in the life of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. And Lord, you use these young teens to change the world. And I believe, Lord, you want to use our young women and men here at the Walloon campus, at the East Jordan campus, at the Alanson campus. Lord, I'm praying that this grove of sequoias, Lord, help us to raise up world changers in our young men and women. Would you do that, Lord? And I pray that you'll help us to do our part, parents, grandparents. Lord, help us to model and teach and train the children that you've entrusted into our care. I pray that for our church family, Lord, help us to do our part to daily live out Jesus in front of them. And I also want to pray for our church family, tempted to drift and wander, stay out of the church habit, just acknowledge the church habit is something so easy to get out of and hard to get back into. Would you draw the family back together? Lord, you know I'm not talking about those who shouldn't be here. You know I'm not talking about those who really should stay away for this time. But Lord, I am talking about those who belong here and bluntly are just being lazy. So would you get them back here? Because the storms of life are only going to get stronger. And finally, Lord, if there are any here who don't know your son Jesus, would you make them realize how much they need Christ and the cross and the shed blood and the empty tomb? Jesus, knocking at the door of your heart right now, did you know you can say, come on in, Jesus, I need you. I need to plant my life amongst the other sequoias here. I need Jesus, and that begins by saying yes to the cross, the shed blood of Christ, the only solution to our greatest problem, we're sinners, took our place in the tomb, arose victoriously, right where you're at. Jesus, I open the door of my life, I receive you by faith. Take charge of my life and follow you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. It's alive. It's quick. It changes us from the inside out. Would you do that today? It's in Jesus' strong name we pray all these things.